Welcome to Emil Franzi's Voices of the West, dedicated to the principle that America was better off when our TV shows featured cowboys instead of lawyers. And here we are. It's another Saturday afternoon. Harry Alexander with you, Bunker to France, and on the horn from Los Angeles is our good friend Todd Roberts. Uh, we're a little tardy, but we're here. And it's another edition of Emil uh, Franzi's Voices of the West. Yay! The Frontier Radio. <laughs> Yes, yes. In, this is Frontier Radio. Yes, indeed. I got I got a new phone here, so I'm trying to oh, figure yeah. out. Yeah, I know. He's trying to look up. He's the, got Todd on the phone, but he hasn't there he got is. him yet. There he there, is. I don't know. I got him. I just couldn't figure out how, how to make him talk. Make him talk. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, uh, there are a few ways. Uh, liquor always helps. Yes. Um, a loose tongue, see tips. And I'm not adverse to receiving gifts. Yes compliments or adulation very well okay so you know any of those will work so uh normally we would have him here with uh, him sounding like he's right next door to me but uh, for some reason um i'm going to blame it on the damn virus it's, it's, well, it's computer virus we're, we're we're not practicing enough social distancing to uh, make this work correctly apparently you, you think if we whizzed on it it would help yeah i'm about ready to pull my gun on it i'll tell you that <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Today's program is um, is not going to be that violent. Uh, today we really don't. You never know. Oh, yeah, that's true. You never know. We we just have a, a bunch of stuff to, to talk about. It's the VOW magazine of the year. Yeah, we're we're just mining for nuggets here. Anthology. And here. see and see what uh, I like that word anthology. See what kind of stuff we come up. I but, dated a girl named Anthology. You did, did you? Yes, I did. That was uh, now. Let's not even go there. Um, <laughs> Uh, Bunker, were you drinking before you went on there? Yeah, yes, he was. I'm just drinking okay. strong coffee. Yeah, well, that's what he wants you to believe. Uh, yeah, okay, what... I'm just. I gotta ask. I, I, you know, I gotta know. I gotta know the, the wherewithal and the where and, and what is and what isn't with my team. I'm only going to so. tell you if you're buying. <laughs> okay. Anyway, Bu- Bunker wants to talk about a David Crockett. That's right, I, Mr. David. Crockett. I, I don't recall. Uh, Disney, I guess, is the only one who calls him Davy. Well, no, he, and the songs. It's like Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy did not like being called Teddy. Uh, okay, all right, but I'm sorry, I just don't no. recall a David Cro- uh, anything that I've ever seen. Don't you remember that Disney theme song? David, David, <laughs> David Crockett. David Crockett. Uh, well, the only reference to it that I know of is uh, is in the movie The Alamo with Billy Bob Thornton, and he has a little kind of kind of moment of where he kind of reveals himself I forget who it is I think it's I think it's uh, uh, he reveals himself to Jim Bowie mm-hmm. which is it was. played um, by um, that great actor um, who I like so much mm-hmm. from The Lost Boys uh, and he says you know uh, Davy Crockett this and Davy Crockett this and you know, they, they hail Davy Crockett. They love Davy Crockett. But I'll tell you something. This fellow here, David Crockett, uh, I don't know that he's as, uh, he's the hero that they all think he is. There's something to that effect. <laughs> he's being somewhat effacing. Well, you know. And, uh, I think it's an interesting examination on the layer of the character. Well, you know, part of that, you, you can go back in 1934, I mean, 1834, uh, <laughs> his, he published his biography. And it was a media sensation in the, in his time, and I think you know with the public it just it took off. And instead of going say I just read David Crockett's biography, it was well, I just read Davy's biography. It was great, mm. and I think that's part of where it probably came from. Hmm. Well, I think that that's uh, all part of the you know the legend. Yeah, uh, and as as uh, our unofficial mentor. John Ford uh, said, uh, mm-hmm. "When legend, when legend uh, meets the truth, print the legend." Sure, yeah. Because uh, I think it's always a little more entertaining, um, and I think that uh, the one, th- the one thing about David Crockett, just as I would say, as well about Daniel Boone, 
is uh, here's two fellows um, that have been uh, mysticized into um, iconism, being icons, and I would venture to bet that, no, I didn't know either one of them, and I don't know anyone who ever knew either one of them, but they're probably two of the very few uh, of our Western heroes, or heroes in general, that um, live up to who they everybody thought they were and who they really were. Well, you know, the, 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 they, they, they bear a common similarity in that they both lived to hunt. And they neglected family. They would take off on a hunt. That was, especially for for Mr. David Crockett, uh, bear hunting was his passion. He'd hunt anything, Mm -hmm. but, you know... He would skip. He would skip Congress sections to, to go out and hunting. <laughs> yeah, he, that's uh, another interesting part about Mr. Crockett is uh, he's one of the few uh, that I'm aware of, at least, that um, ran for Congress and was elected. Uh, uh, wilderness type guys, you know. You know, he he ran four times. Was elected the first three. The fourth time, he do, did not get elected, and his comment at that point was, "Gentlemen in the Congress." You can go to hell. I'm going to Texas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think that that's uh, that's a legend, which is so true that mm-hmm. he said that. Mm-hmm. And I think that it truly encapsulates him. And uh, he was very much, in a lot of ways, an Andrew Jackson kind of politician, mm-hmm. um, who wasn't a politician as much as he was a real person who had right. common sense and wanted to apply that to government, and I think was uh, constructive and prolific doing it. Um, But I would say uh, many people found him uh, to rub them the wrong way or standoffish because he was not part of the swamp. Well, you know, part of the thing, too, like you mentioned, uh, the similarity with Jackson, they would, when they were politi- politicking, they would go out to the little villages and towns and even cabins, set up uh, with a little keg of keg of whiskey mm-hmm. or, you know, home brew, mm-hmm. and set up on a stump, and instead of making a stump speech, he'd just tell stories. Or talk, you talk with, uh, talk with the electorate. Yeah, exactly. And, and yeah. He was a master at that. Fortunately, they don't know how to do that these days. Well, maybe. <laughs> God forbid. <laughs> well, you know, why, you know, why would I want to talk to you? Yeah, no, sir. <laughs> well, you know, this, this is an interesting thing. You know, uh, if you if you talk to most people today, and and, and what they'll do is they'll they'll immediately associate him with the Alamo and Crockett. Yeah, mm-hmm. and he only spent three months in Texas. That mm-hmm. was his whole time there. And but they'll and they'll they'll say you know, and the funny thing is everybody at the Alamo except for the the Hispanics that lived there but wanted to be free of the Mexican government were not Texans. They were Tennesseans, right. Kentuckians, all volunteers. Yeah, they, none of them were yeah. Texans. Mm-hmm. There were no Texans in Texas except the Hispanos. Right. Yeah. That. Uh very interesting time in, in, in fact, this nation's history. And in fact, they didn't consider themselves Texans yet because there was no Texas. It was still New Spain. Well, they were Texicans. They were Texicans. Yeah. Yeah. Just indeed. Yeah. So what else about Mr. Crockett did you uncover? Well, let's there? see here. Let's jump around. He had a very colorful life. Born in Tennessee. Well, yeah, I don't know if it was on a mountaintop like in the song. <laughs> um, his... His, his great leader in Texas, Sam Houston, was another uh, Tennessean who mm-hmm. had actually been governor of Tennessee. Mm-hmm. So, you know, those Tennessee boys had a had a sense of politics. Uh, he was born in 1786 near Limestone, Tennessee. Uh, ran away from home when he was around 13. Uh, he had a, a stepfather that he didn't get along with, and some of the story is that he ran away to keep from getting whooped or beat, probably the same difference. Uh, it was an unhappy childhood. Uh, he took off and went as far north as uh, Baltimore, and for three years he sustained himself at odd jobs, kindness to strangers. Uh, I, I believe he worked uh, with uh, some Teamsters up there doing freighting for a while. Returned home. Uh, after he got back, uh, he was 
uh, spent a lot of time, he was very precocious as far as hunting, and the, his marksmanship was, was was legendary back then. You know, he was just he was kind of like an Annie Oakley in his mm-hmm. thing. Everybody everybody talked about this kid that could shoot, and part of the way that he would sustain himself was he would go to these shooting matches and shooting contests. You know, for cash and prizes, other goodies. Uh, the War of eighteen twelve came along, and of course he signed up. Uh, it was called the Creek Wars in their part of the country, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and he served under Andrew Jackson. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things is he he didn't really function that much as a soldier, more as a hunter, because they had to eat. You know, an army sure. travels on its belly. So That's right. And this is funny thing. He says, "This is quoting him: As the army marched, I hunted every day and would kill every hawk, bird, and squirrel that I could find." Hmm. That you know, when was the last time when you were in the army, Harry? Did you they they feed you hawk, bird, and squirrel? <laughs> no, uh, our stuff came out of uh, metal cans. <laughs> <laughs> but so you had to have a key to get into. <laughs> but anyhow, that the that war of eighteen twelve got him real familiar with Alabama. He returned home to Tennessee. Uh, a little while after that, his wife died. He remarried again. Uh, with to a, a widow woman who had three children, which and he'd had two, then they had three amongst them. So he was looking at a pretty good brood. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things, though, they moved around a lot, and part of that was Davy or David was known as a social drinker. Okay, which just about probably every man alive back then was, was a social drinker. Yeah, yeah, and so that's not it's not such a big deal now as it is right. then. Whatever the. Uh, Whenever, you know, the family larder never ran low because he was always out hunting. Uh, although on one trip he was out, uh, contracted malaria, was unconscious for several days, almost died, rebounded, and then pulling himself up by the bootstraps, he ran for uh, public office in Tennessee, won, and then the next next go-round he ran for Congress. What was his uh, impetus to run for Congress? Why? But was it... Be, the people wanted him to run, or did he see something that he thought he could correct, or or what? I, I think you know it's probably a little bit of both of that, and I think just possibly, you know, you you look around and especially back then, and you look at what are the opportunities for you know to make make a living or get ahead in the world, mm-hmm. and Tennessee back at that time was pretty much farming. Yeah, and so and and I I get the feeling you know the way he felt about uh, hunting he wouldn't have made a very good farmer, so probably he looked around saw these guys you know smoking big cigars and and drinking whiskey out of a glass and thought, you know that <laughs> I looks, could do that, that. looks pre- that looks pretty appealing <laughs> I can do that you know because when he got when he got to Washington uh, he wasn't impressed with him at all let's see I think I have another another question quote here. He says, apparently Washington's politicians talking a lot and doing nothing uh, as a timeless phenomenon. Uh, Crockett complained, many men seem to be proud that they can say so much about nothing. He's a lot like, you know, a lot like Mark Twain. Oh, you think or Will Rogers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he had that colloquial voice. Uh, while he was in Washington, he spent a lot of time out around Real Foot Lake and the Obion River, which is up in north uh, northeastern Tennessee, northwestern Tennessee, uh, hunting. And it's this interesting story about the uh, lake. Uh, what is it? Uh, Real Foot Lake is that there was what year was it? Eighteen eighteen twelve, same year as the. Uh, as the war, there was an earthquake in that area, hmm. and it was the one of the strongest earthquakes the Earth has ever known. It caused the Mississippi River to flow upstream for several hours, Ooh. and created several lakes and re- reshaped the landscape. And one of his favorite ten years during the ten-year period after that, one of his favorite areas of hunting was around New New Madrid. Because it was like a true wilderness area, and I can remember reading back when I was in high school, mm-hmm. uh, reading about uh, David Crockett in that area, and the guy that described it, it was amazing because it said it was just like you you can picture this huge area, 
with forests and everything, and everything is knocked down. So it's not like walking between trees. Sure. It's like climbing over and yeah, under. Yeah. And it was just... But he said the hunting was magnificent. He loved it. He loved the area because everything, you know, elk, deer, turkey, wild boar, feral hogs. Well, and then the farming uh, later on uh, was the... Raising the grain for bourbons yeah. <laughs> was yeah. uh, was well, he left good. before the Burman era, you know. <laughs> let's see, let's moving on in time. Let's see, what do we got here? What else should we get? Here? Oh well, we're getting ready to we're getting ready to head for Texas now. All right, while we head for Texas, why don't we take a break and have a little bit of take um, a little shortcut on the way. Take a shortcut here and uh, and 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 go do that. So we will do that um, and be back with much more of Emil Franzi's Voices of the West right after these important messages, if that will ever start. Will it start? There it goes. <laughs> this is one of those days. Yeah, we'll be sure. right back. Arizona, the land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true west where a large number of westerns were filmed. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and the Hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home, perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallion.com or call 520-297-0252. The Tucson Trap and Ski Club is one of the best-kept economic secrets in town. This 900-member group maintains one of the finest shotgun shooting ranges in the country, featuring trap, skeet, five-stand, and sporting clays fields, and hosts national and international events that bring thousands of people and millions of dollars into our community. The Spring Satellite Grand American Tournament alone involves 1,200 participants for 10 days. Learn more about this and their other contributions to our community at TucsonTrapAndSkeet.com. When looking for a property management company, here are some things you should consider. How long has the company been in business? What types of properties can they manage for you? And does the company give back to the community? Well, your search is over. The Paul Ash Management Company meets and exceeds those considerations. They've been in business in Tucson, Arizona since the 1960s. They manage all types of properties throughout Arizona and elsewhere, from residential to commercial to public sector properties. The Paul Ash Management Company also dedicates its time and resources to numerous community projects, including help funding the drive for the USS Arizona Memorial at the University of Arizona. You also want a property management company that puts you, the customer, First, contact the Paul Ash Management Company today at paulashmanagement.com and ask about the complete package or call 520-795-2100. That's 520-795-2100. The Paul Ash Management Company, property managers you can trust. Can you even imagine switching back to pen and paper to run your business? Every year we become more and more dependent upon our technology. If your network is not set up properly, you're just one click or one email away from losing data critical to your operation. Arizona Computer Guru offers a host of services to prevent and protect you from disaster. From online backup services to email filtering to fully managed network services, Arizona Computer Guru is here to keep your network secure, your data safe, and your budget in the black. To schedule your free consultation, call 304-8300. Imus Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond check and stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations, they build relationships, and they want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you, as they did us, design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. Imus Wilkinson Investments, they're really good at what they do. 777-1911. 
I'm Mr. Red. No doubt you've heard about rescue groups for dogs and cats. But did you know there's a rescue group for horses? That's right. It's called Horse It Around Rescue. Founders Steve Boyce and Teresa Worrell are helping out all those equine victims of neglect and cruelty by giving them a place to restore their health and wellness. And Horse It Around provides a nurturing and natural environment where horses can be horses. So they can be adopted out into forever homes. More than 120 horses, mules, and donkeys have been adopted out, but like everything else, it costs money to run the project. Horse It Around is a 501c3 nonprofit located in Southeast Arizona. Your tax deductible donations to Horse It Around will go a long way so those horses can be horses. Check out the website, horseitaroundrescue.org. Make a difference in a horse's life. That's horseitaroundrescue.org. He takes his hatchet and his butcher knife and heads over there, and he gets about four or five paces away, <laughs> and the bear looks him in the eye, and it has that look in his eye. Yep. And he decided at that point that maybe he should be back there with old Betsy. Mm-hmm. So he backtracks, finally finally gives the old bear the final shot, but he said that the bear gave him a hand signal of some time. And I'm just wondering if that was the... bear gave him the bird. The, you know, the bear bird, yeah. Uh, the only con- eye contact I ever had with a bear was about 100 yards away, and that was far enough. I saw it just enough, and I decided it's time to go. <laughs> and with his eyesight, oh, he, he probably just knew how you smelled. No doubt. No doubt. And he probably smelled yummy. I'm sure I did, and I did not <laughs> wait to find out or question him. Todd, you had a, a story you wanted to tell. Well, I, I think my, you know, just in general to my nuggets, um, you know, uh, the nuggets I have to share are that, number one, um, this year I'm going to, I pledged myself to do more things. Uh, I'm not going to just sit around and wait for things to happen or the perfect time or, you know, this timing or that timing, and I'm just going to go out and do a bunch of stuff. There you go. Yeah. Um, one of the things is I'm coming to Tucson uh, to... Uh, Thanks for the warning. ...insult and berate the two of you <laughs> to such an extent that you tie me up and throw me back on the train. <laughs> well, you've gotten to me. Quick, Harry, uh, start digging the bear pit. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's, yeah, well, you both need to go into alcoholic training. Get you, you, need to, you need to build up your immunity. Oh, uh, sir, mine is built up real well. <laughs> I don't have any at all. So, yeah, but we don't know about Bunker. You know, he wasn't on the train with us. That's true. And, and that, the bourbon train. That's true. Um, That's true. He, he's, uh, a, he's a lightweight. Only for the wine. I, I'm, I'm, I'm more like the seltzer car. <laughs> uh, but, you know, turning, uh, shall I say, this new leaf over. It reminds me of the story my good friend always loves to tell when we go out drinking and smoking cigars. He'll say, you know, uh, you know, one night I, I just, I did not feel well. And uh, instead of going home, I went to the hospital. I drove myself home. I picked up my wife and we went to the hospital. And I was sweating and my heart was racing and I was really, really uncomfortable. This is a true story. And he goes, he lives down in Laguna Beach, and he goes to the hospital, and he gets into the emergency room, and uh, the doctor, you know, they bring him right in, and, you know, he thinks he's having a heart attack, but he doesn't know, and the doctor takes him out, they do all these tests, and he comes back to him, and he says, you didn't have a heart attack, I just, you know, you had some type of, of uh, maybe a panic attack or something, but... Um, you know, are you under a lot of pressure? He says, of course I'm under a lot of pressure. I'm an entrepreneur and I'm running three different companies. Mm-hmm. And he says, well, I have to tell you, sir, you're going to have to change your lifestyle. <laughs> and I mean from top to bottom. Mm-hmm. And my friend looks at the doctor and he says, well, doc, you know, I don't know what I can do. I already drink the best bourbon and smoke the best cigars. And I only eat steaks that are over 10 ounces. So what, how am I going to change my life? Right. And the doctor looked at him and rolled his eyes and threw up his arms and walked out on him. Yep. So he said, well, I guess that was an endorsement, so I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. <laughs> well, uh, it was probably the doctor's lifestyle. Yeah, exactly. Well, the, the doctor was obviously jealous. And he, <laughs> he's probably on a half a step away from Betty Ford by now. But um, <laughs> I think, you know, I, I think the message really comes down to is that 
the ultimate lesson here is, is that there's no time like the present. One of my mentors years ago in the insurance business used to say to me, if not now, when? If not me, who? Mm-hmm. Let's go. Mm-hmm. Life's not a dress rehearsal. Let's get to it. Yep. Daylight's burning, as John Wayne said. Um, my other nugget immediately, I know I have another one, but I, I have another nugget, which is a new book I found. It's an old book, but I, I had never read of it, never heard of it. It's called The Outlaw Sheriff by Hal Dunning. And mm. uh, it's uh, he, he, um, it was published in New York. It's a Western story. It's a true story of his life. Um, and it was printed originally in 1928. Mm. And uh, it's the story of uh, a guy who was a sheriff, and I have a feeling uh, maybe didn't play by all the rules all the time. Mm, no, say it so, ain't so. <laughs> uh, uh, but I think he got a lot done, and I think that uh, I'm not only, not only going to enjoy this book, I think I'm going to learn a few lessons in life here. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of books... I was just going to say that, mm-hmm. Harry. A good transition there. Spe- yeah. Speaking of books, I found this one old <clears throat> book, old book that I've been reading. Um, it uh, I, I found it from the Project Gutenberg uh, group, and the reason I I go for eBooks like this is because I live in a recreational vehicle and I do not have space for books. Despite the fact that I have lots of books, I have no space for them. So um, you don't have as many books as I no, have. No, I do not have as many books as you have. Uh, I used to, but no longer. Well, I used um, to have more. Well, and I used to have a lot more, but uh, <laughs> I don't have the space for any of that stuff now. So it's all if it's electronic, great. If it's not, and I probably have read it, and I can't keep it any longer. But this book that I came across, it's it's pretty doggone cool, I think. Um, it's called the... Let me get the title. The well, while title. you're looking for it, let me ask you, mm-hmm. how do you keep your bookmark on your Kindle? Because when you pick it up, it falls off. You know, that's uh, something I've been working and struggling with ever since. Yeah. And I'm going to come up with the, the concept to fix that. I don't know when, but I know I'm going to do it. That's good. I was worried. Thank you. This book is called Arizona's Yesterday, and it's uh, written, it's an autobiography written by uh, another ghostwriter for the guy, uh, uh, John Cady, who emigrated to Arizona in uh, just after the Civil War. He was uh, in his teens when the Civil War broke out, and he was born in Cincinnati, and uh, uh, the family they were freighters and they ran wagons uh, during the during the conflict. And after um, the conflict, he decided that he was going to uh, join the army and, and see the world, as it were. And uh, so he did. And they he was sent to California. Only instead of being sent uh, across land, they left from um, uh, somewhere down in, in either Texas or New Orleans uh, by packet boat down to the Isthmus of Panama. Probably from Galveston. It could be Galveston. And uh, then they marched across that and then boarded another vessel and went to the uh, port of San Francisco. And from San Francisco, uh, you know, the the column was formed and blah, blah, and they did their march to to Tucson. And he talked about uh, coming through uh, the area and and Yuma, uh, in particular, how it was uh, quite the oasis. (laughs) The garden spot of Arizona. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it was. But he he also talks about the the Indians here. Now, uh, this is a interesting passage i think here um john katie is the author or is is who the story is about here and he talks about uh, the apaches and he says there were several tribes of apaches wintering at camp grant the winter we went there i remember if i remember correctly among them being the tontos and the aravapas all of them however were under the authority of one chief and this chief's name and i'm going to try to pronounce it right here Old Eskaminsen. Eskaminsky. Yeah, he was one of the most bloodthirsty and vindictive of all the old Apache leaders. Now, the government fed these Apaches well during the winter in return for pledges they made to keep the peace. This was due to the altruism of some mistaken gentlemen in the councils of authority in the East who knew nothing of the conditions of the territory and who wrongly believed that the word of an Apache Indian would hold good. We, who knew the Indian, understood differently, 
but we were obliged to obey orders even though these were responsible in part for the many Indian tragedies that followed. Blame it on the Indian. Blame it on the Indian. The Apache, he says, was a curious character by nature a nomad, by temperament a fighter, and from birth a hater of the white man. He saw nothing good in the ways of civilization except that which fed him, and he took only that as a means to an end. Often an Indian chief would solemnly swear to keep the peace with his, quote, white brethren for a period of months, and the next day go forth on a marauding expedition and kill as many of his beloved, quote, brethren as he could lay his hands on. Every dead white man was a feather in some Apache's headdress, for so they regarded it. No headdress. Well, that's what this guy, his writing... I know, I I know. I got got to, you know... Anyway, (laughs) he ends up, uh, after I haven't completed the book yet, but uh, he he finishes up his military service and he goes into ranching down in uh, the Sonoida and Patagonia area. And uh, there's some pretty cool uh, illustrations, pictures in there. Uh, Old ruins of Fort Buchanan, uh, which was down uh, near the Tubac area. Um, Between Patagonia and Sonoida. Yeah, in that vicinity there. Um, And... uh, he has the ruins of where uh, Company C, 1st U.S. Cavalry or Infantry infantry stayed here in Tucson before they moved over to Military Plaza and, and such. And, uh, it, of course, none of that stuff is here in Tucson any longer. It's gone the way of urban mm-hmm. renewal. But uh, an interesting book. There are many of these books out there. Um, you can All you have to do is do a search. And you can find them. And, and, you know, the thing is free, for God's sake. And uh, it's Project Gutenberg. Something's really good to support, I think. Um, And you can find tons of great historical books, uh, first-person accounts. You know, try finding this in the library. I bet you can't. Well, you know, it's it's interesting because, you know, one of the things I I collect all different kinds of books, but one of the book group that I look for is the self-published books uh, of the old-timers. Sure. And they are fascinating because they give you an insight and a viewpoint that the outside writer a lot of times just doesn't have. But there's the one problem with it is they have their, their it's still their perspective. Their, their perspective. Sure. And so, yeah. you know, you, you got you've got to you have to balance look at the it. outsider and the insider and get the and you have, figure it out. You, like with movies, you have to look at when it was made yep. and when the book was written and try and understand what the social values were of that time before applying what you think should be how it should be today. Oh, 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 oh. That, I'm glad you said I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to Davy here for a second because I wanna read something Actually, it applies more to this than it does to Mr. Crockett. Let me find it here. Here we go. Here we go. This is the guy that wrote the article, the piece that I'm coming from. And it kind of starts out, The primitive behavior of Native Americans was often involved scalping white settlers, posed a difficult, dreadful threat. I don't like that because that's very, very wrong. Mm -hmm. But... And this is the part, though. Simply put, we have no business judging people who lived 200 years ago where we can neither nor will we ever be fully capable of understanding their experience. Well, of course not, but that's not going to stop people from doing it. Oh, especially especially if you're a bleeding heart Pollyanna bubble wrapper. Well, there you go. Yeah. There's another book that I found that I, I haven't started yet. Well, kind of started, but it's called The Story of, a, of the Outlaw. And this was published in 1907 by Emerson Hoff. Good year. And uh, it's a study of the Western Desperado with historical narratives of famous outlaws, stories of noted border wars, vigilante movements, and armed conflicts on the frontier. And this is 1907. Now, the, the period of what we term the, the Wild West... Uh, was just kind of over, or getting over, because it was still the Wild West in Arizona and New Mexico. Well, here's an interesting thing about the correlation here. 1904, 
Owen Weiser publishes the Virginian. Mm-hmm. Now, I've got, as you know, I collect the old Western novels that were written before Western. Mm-hmm. They were there. It's just that they weren't popular. They were popular among, you know, mm-hmm. the ignorant folk like me. Mm-hmm. But they hadn't crossed over into mainstream. Uh, the Virginian crossed over. It was a bestseller. It became a sensation. But, and my point is, these guys were the they weren't the, the son of the guy who did they it. were there they were the guy who yeah. did it yeah uh, and their daddies did even more before them yeah. with Davy. yeah yeah, so, yeah. i mean that uh, i'm and, ha- and they tell the story so different yeah the language is so different one of the movies that we're going to be watching tonight on our western roundup saturday night uh, i found um uh, frontier marshall Oh, 1939, Stuart Lake, yeah. 1939, Stuart Lake's uh, movie uh, with Randolph Scott. Yeah. And so uh, we're going to watch that tonight. And I I watch The Life and Legend of Wyatt Earp every evening. Oh, I know. You're I, an I, I, I love it. I love it. Uh, my favorite character, though, is Shotgun Gibbs, of course. Quiet, Burp. <laughs> quiet. But anyway, in the next... The TV show, you love it? I do. I do. It, it's yeah. It's good entertainment. You know? It is. Well, you know, it's funny. Um, I've told you now for a few weeks that I've got uh, a house guest yeah. here, uh, the author and historian Dan Galeasso, and he's got me watching Gunsmoke. So I'll <laughs> tell you, we've watched some Gunsmokes that have been written really, really well. Yeah. And, Are they the half hour uh, ones? Yeah. And I'll tell you, it's John Meston. Yep. Not to mention some Lawman. Yeah. With Don Russell. Yep. Yeah. Um, I tell you, I was someone last night with John Denner. John Denner, um, that was really dark. And not only dark lit, but dark subject. Mm-hmm. It was almost film noir. <clears throat> they are. And he's a marshal who comes into town ahead of some fellows that are coming in. And he is going to pluck them off in the middle of the street as they get off their horses. Uh-huh. Um, and... Um, uh, with a Winchester from the hotel window that he's staying in the room. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, when uh, he rides into town and he immediately checks from the hotel, he's very uh, wider looking. The mustache, the black hat, <laughs> uh, you know, he's, he's very much herp. In fact, his, his, his last name is Wyatt. <laughs> yeah. His name is like Glenn Wyatt or something. <laughs> Marshall Glenn John Wyatt. Uh-huh. And uh, he looks a lot. He, he, I'll tell you, it's obviously years and years and years before, mm-hmm. but uh, the way he's dressed is very much like Kurt, Kurt Russell mm-hmm. in the posse mm-hmm. with a duster and the whole thing. And uh, and uh, uh, Marshall Troop, John Russell, really recognizes him and goes over to the hotel. And he's like, I, I want to introduce myself. I hope you know that I'm, uh, I only became a marshal because of you. The stories that I heard as a, as a young man. And I thought led me to be in law enforcement. And I just wanted to shake your hand. But as soon as he comes into the room, he realizes there's something wrong. Mm. He's sitting in the dark. He's got the Winchester. The window's cracked. And he's like, close the door and, uh, you know, keep the lights out and so on. And he tells him what he's going to do. And he goes, you can't do that. He goes, uh, yeah, I can't. I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not giving them any chance. They didn't give the guy who I'm, they murdered a chance, that I'm, that's why I'm chasing them. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't care if I take them back, swung over a saddle or not. I don't care how I get it done. Hmm. And um, it comes to a climax. I won't ruin the ending, but it, boy, it was well written and yeah. really well lit. And reminded me a lot of my darling Clementine in its lighting and staging. I would suggest highly that uh, you guys do a search on uh, on the computer. Uh, you can find them on YouTube. Uh, Forsaken Westerns. Yeah. And uh, uh, Bob Terry has tons. I don't know how many, but tons of old westerns. Many of them pilots episodes that had uh, they've seen the light of day one time. Some of them didn't even do that. Some of them didn't even do that. And 
there, I tell you what, there are some really, really good yes, ones uh, there. Uh, so I highly recommend that. Guys, we got to do an, our next commercial break. break here because we are way behind. Because oh, we're, fun. we're just having too doggone, too doggone much start, damn you. There you go. <laughs> we'll be back. When looking for a property management company, here are some things you should consider. How long has the company been in business? What types of properties can they manage for you? And does the company give back to the community? Well, your search is over. The Paul Ash Management Company meets and exceeds those considerations. They've been in business in Tucson, Arizona since the 1960s. They manage all types of properties throughout Arizona and elsewhere, from residential to commercial to public sector properties. The Paul Ash Management Company also dedicates its time and resources to numerous community projects, including help funding the drive for the USS Arizona Memorial at the University of Arizona. You also want a property management company that puts you, the customer, first. First, contact the Paul Ash Management Company today at paulashmanagement.com and ask about the complete package or call 520-795-2100. That's 520-795-2100. The Paul Ash Management Company, property managers you can trust. Man, this is frustrating. It's taken me like five minutes just to load my homepage. Did you try Control-Alt-Delete? Uh-huh. Did you jiggle the cord? Uh-huh. Did you turn it on and off again? Uh-huh. Call Arizona Computer Guru. Don't let viruses get you down. With our Guru Protection Service, we'll keep you virus-free. In fact, if you were to get a virus, we would fix it for free. Speak to a technician right now at 304-8300 or at azcomputerguru.com. Hello? I'm Mr. Red. No doubt you've heard about rescue groups for dogs and cats. But did you know there's a rescue group for horses? That's right. It's called Horses Around Rescue. Founders Steve Boyce and Teresa Worrell are helping out all those equine victims of neglect and cruelty by giving them a place to restore their health and wellness. And Horses Around provides a nurturing and natural environment where horses can be horses so they can be adopted out into forever homes. More than 120 horses, mules, and donkeys have been adopted out, but like everything else, it costs money to run the project. Horse It Around is a 501c3 nonprofit located in Southeast Arizona. Your tax-deductible donations to Horse It Around will go a long way so those horses can be horses. Check out the website, horseitaroundrescue.org. Make a difference in a horse's life. That's horseitaroundrescue.org. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov COVID-19. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this podcast. Hello, podcast listeners. I'm Tom, the host of the Movies Outs podcast, and I'm inviting you to give the Movies Outs podcast a listen. Every episode, my co-hosts and I review the latest box office releases, but there's more than simply just that. We also play games like the Alexa quote of the show, and may the odds be ever in your favor, and have a from the cutting room floor segment that is an open forum to discuss anything from our thoughts of a Netflix TV series to our experiences with movie subscriptions such as the AMC Stubs or Movie Pass. So, after finishing this podcast, please give the Movies Out podcast a listen. We can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Play. Simply search Movies Out. Until then, and that's a wrap. I just ran into trouble with one of Kirby's punchers. Did he get a good look at you? Well, it makes no difference whether he did or not. He won't tell nobody nothing. Someone happened along, and I think it was that stranger Billy Carson. But I don't believe he was close enough to recognize anyone. We can't have any guesswork on anything like that. No guesswork when you listen to the voices of the world. We are back on Amo Franzi's Voices of the West. And we'll have no guesswork on any of this <laughs> stuff, no, Harry. No guesswork either. <laughs> That's our, uh, our our bottom of the hour theme there, uh, the High Chaparral, of which Mr. DeFrance was in 52 of yeah. those 
episodes. We're talking about just about anything today uh, on the program. I want to continue with what Todd was saying about about gun smoke. You know, those half-hour gun smokes are amazing. They are. And what's really amazing is when you look at the credit, most of them are credited to John Messon. And John, most of them came from the Mm half-hour radio show, Mm -hmm. and he just adapted them. But this guy should be given some special recognition because that is some of the best Western writing of all time. And on top of that... uh, we we should do a show on him sometime. Yeah, well, the, when you write for radio like that, I mean, those guys were. Great. He was an old Henry. He really was. Those guys were just plum great. I mean, you know. I, yeah. was, watch, I was watching it today before we came in, and last night what was neat? They had three Roy Roger movies in a row. Actually, it was five, but two of them were repeated. <laughs> Under Nevada Skies, mm-hmm. the great great stuff. It took place. Uh, in uh, uh, Oregonville, mm-hmm. but a lot of it was shot up around in the Newhall Saugus area mm-hmm, mm-hmm. on the train on the tracks running from Saugus to Fillmore up up where uh, Wyatt McRae is. Oh, okay. You know, and uh, it was just great. And the good st- these were these are ones I hadn't seen. These were great stories. Well, the, bells the, of San Angelo. Those half hour the half hour gun smokes I think were. Uh, Absolutely. Some of the best Western TV yeah. ever, um, and like I said, they, many of them were adapted uh, from from the radio um, scripts. There was a, a show on it. If, if you have Amazon Prime, you can find it. It's called The Western, I believe, and it's like an hour and a half uh, program. NBC produced it, and it had to have been back in the fifties, late fifties, because Dave Garraway is the host, and Dave Garraway was the Did Mr. Uh, Muggs on there with him. No, Mr. Muggs was not there. Dave Garraway. Was the was the first host of the Today Show yeah. on NBC when they started? The man that. who introduced Mr. Muggs. That's right, and uh, so uh, this is all done. Uh, it's filmed out or not filmed? It's a live broadcast. Garraway's in New York, and everybody else is at Melody Ranch in you California. We're like that. You're like Dave Garraway, and I'm like Mr. Muggs. Yes, you are. Yeah, I like this. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, what does that make me? Yeah, Mr. Magoo? No, I don't know. We'll figure out something for you. Uh, You're howdy duty. Yeah, the uh, uh, Gene Autry hosted this thing, and uh, John Wayne was there. John Ford was there. Uh, uh, John, James Garner, Jack Kelly. Um, who wow. else? Uh, tons of other big name. Big name Western stars, and, and Autry explains how it's they're using the Melody Ranch area now just for television westerns and and, and such. And this is like I said, this was 1958, and uh, it, it was really cool. They did a a a, a, um, a a demonstration of how to make the horse fall. When you know the guy gets shot and he brings the horse down, well, sa- yeah, okay. his saddle falls, and uh, so they did that in slow motion and then in fast motion, and uh, it, it was it was just pretty cool. There was a guy on there I can't recall his name, but he uh, is said to have been the fastest gun in Hollywood at the time. Marvel Jello uh, might have been. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Rod Redwing. He, he yeah. And uh, he, I guess, what is year would that be? 58. And, and, yeah. and where I was going with that is I was thinking of Thel. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, he, of course, you know, I, I mean, I've seen him uh, work his magic. And I even have a video uh, that I'd love to play on the show someday mm-hmm. somehow through our website. Of him at on the uh, Ed Sullivan show yes. in 1966. Yeah, I have that. I have uh, that. I should put that up. And uh, he's so fast. Uh, and I've seen him standing here in my kitchen mm-hmm. uh, playing with guns. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, he's still so incredibly fast and quick. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. you know, I've shown him clips of some fast shooters that I've known over the years. And very few of them does he look at and say, you know, that guy might give me trouble. Don't go drinking with him. I can really think of Cisco Guerra, the Cisco kid. Uh, Cisco is fast. In fact, Cisco is so fast 
but he left SAS and went to Quick Draw. Wow. Because <laughs> it wasn't fast enough for him. Jeez. And uh, he only wants to shoot six guns. He doesn't want to deal with the rifle and the mm-hmm. shotgun and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my hat's off to him. He's, you know, you got to follow your passion, whatever sure. it is. yeah. But, my God, he is fast. Mm. He's fast. And I, I used to tease Stel about how fast Bob Munden was. Because when he lived with me for two years here, um, you know, we would watch American Shooter and uh, in the mornings, and inevitably, every once in a while, there would be a Bob Munden spot. Mm-hmm. I go, oh, I'll come on over here. Here's your boyfriend. Uh, he's gonna. You, you want to take some notes? And he'd look at me and Wuggy, one of these days. And you know, I always used to say to him, I said, "Well, just come on out and go. You know, go shot shooting with me. You don't have to tell anybody who you are." He goes, "I won't shoot." I ain't shooting for less than a thousand dollars cash <laughs> because I wouldn't even I wouldn't even quick draw you in here in this house for less than a thousand dollars cash. <laughs> I said, "Well, um, okay, I'm just telling you we'd have a little fun and fun. You know what fun is? <laughs> fun is uh, uh, let's go to dinner, uh, eat opulently like kings, and then uh, uh, drink too much." There you go. <laughs> uh, and so we There's don't know where we here. are. <laughs> and I said, okay, that, that's 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 a, that's good, but uh, you know, um, I could never get him to go shoot. But he, I saw him work uh, and do tricks right here in front of me in this kitchen mm-hmm. and uh, in the dining room. And I mean, his hands are so quick. So, you know, uh, Rod Redwing had a great a great trick he used to do. That's where he would take a knife and he would throw the knife and draw and shoot, and the knife would hit. Where the bullet hit right Jeez. behind it, boy, man, I don't know. Uh, yeah, uh, and I'm just gonna—we're gonna take a, our final commercial break while I ponder how to pull that off. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that that's ever gonna happen, and I the cannon, very, Harry. I, uh, yeah, the I can cannon. do it. Do it with my cannon, sure. We'll be back with much more of Amo Franzi's Voices of the West right after these messages. Arizona, the land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true west where a large number of westerns were filmed. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and the Hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallion.com or call 520-297-0252. Imus Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond check and stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships, and they want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you, as they did us, design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. Imus Wilkinson Investments, they're really good at what they do. 777-1911. Hi, this is Joe Montaigne. Every time my Uncle Willie tells me about his service in Patton's Third Army in World War II, I'm reminded of what we owe the U.S. Army. Fourteen generations of American soldiers who have courageously defended our nation. Their stories represent the best of America and should never be forgotten. Join me to help build the National Museum of the United States Army, a long overdue tribute to all American soldiers. To learn more, 
Visit armyhistory.org. The Tucson Trap and Skeet Club dates from 1948 and is now at 7800 West Old Ajo Highway. The club owns 80 acres and leases 300 more from Pima County that supports 50 trap fields, 15 skeet fields, two five-stand fields, two sporting plays courses with 12 stations each, a 9,000-square-foot clubhouse, 200 full-service RV hookups for members, and free Wi-Fi. This expansive facility gives enough room to host major national and international events annually, bringing thousands of people to the community. Check it out at Tucson Trap and Skeet. Oh, bury me not on the lone prairie where the coyotes howl and the wind blows free in a narrow grave just six by three. We are back on the final effort here of the. Uh, Emil, Emil Franzi's <laughs> Voices of the West program. Harry Alexander, Bunker de France, and Todd Roberts. Uh, he's in Los Angeles. Jimmy Wakely Trio there, Bury Me Out, Not on the Lone Prairie. Next week, we're going to be talking about uh, something really interesting, I think. Our guest is Denny Seymour. And uh, she's a University of Arizona professor and has written this book about... Uh, an old Indian battle, and the book is titled A Fateful Day in 1698, The Remarkable Sobapuri Autumn Victory Over the Apaches and Their Allies. Actually, we're just covering like one chapter of the book. Yeah. But, but it's pretty, it's in-depth and very interesting. Right. And this just, uh, first off, this is like, this is the Old West. This is uh, long before white man came out here <laughs> and this is this is archaeology well actually no anthropology because, because, uh, anthropology because uh, father kino plays a right. part in here right yeah good because apparently there's some cuts in there or not cuts but uh, uh, quotes from father kino so anyway that's coming up next next, uh, next, we'll next, next time uh, on uh, on the the program uh final things for us well only about a minute or two left here you know, I, but like I mentioned, I like I, I I thoroughly enjoy watching the Life and Legend of Wyatt Earp. I know it's entertainment, but one of the guys in there, John Behan, the sheriff of Cochise County, I worked for Behan Broadcasting, and I'm positive it's a relative um, down in Sierra Vista uh, after I got out of the army, and um, uh, yeah, I, I'm positive this person was was related to the just, original being. Just don't put any money down. No, no. I mean, they, they, they were shaky. Um, <laughs> there were all kinds of bizarre things. Behan was a crook, uh, the sheriff. Uh, he, he was definitely a crook. that up. We lawsuits here. Well, yeah, he, he was a crook. No, no question about that. He, he was part of... He was of, just a typical politician of the day then and today yeah. now. He, he, he was... Uh, um, I don't think he was in charge of the 10% ring, but I know he had a lot to do with it. And basically that was they took 10% off of everything that was collected before it went to the to the county coffers and it's like uh, the santa fe ring you know only, only he, they yeah. took they took a whole state yeah and he, you know he wasn't the head of the he, i know that your secretary at all but i don't know it's known to be called the county ring or they were also known as the town lot gang yeah yeah and they 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 were up to no good on every level yep being was the law he was the legal arm mm-hmm. of 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 uh, of the gang, whereas the Earps were the legal uh, arm of the uh, citizens uh, safety committee. Yeah, that was, the Earps were the bathtub uh, ring. Uh, yeah, but part, you know partners with um, uh, Fred Dodge and Wells Fargo. Yeah, suffice so, uh, suffice suffice to say though that Behan was not uh, he he was not your typical uh, he was not a good Johnny Law. But well, he, was, no, and, he probably well, reflected way, a lot of it. Wyatt Earp did not refer to him as a sheriff uh, or a no, deputy. No, no. He referred to him as a jailer. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. wasn't even at the level of tax collector, right. which is what the sheriff's shop was. I know. He, he referred to him as a jailer. Yeah. Well, you know, just to, just to give you a perspective, uh, if you look at his overall career and his politi- political career, he went much, much further than the Earps ever did in as far as being successful in politics. Yeah, I guess so. You he could, made a living, well, made a career. That, yeah. in, you're right in the respect, Bunker, of in that community and so on. Uh, he was very tied in politically. 
um, and he rose to power. Yep. And he had a lot of friends who, you know, the Tom Lock gang was very successful. Mm -hmm. Even though they did not get the ultimate prize they wanted, which was the seat, the county seat for uh, that area yeah. uh, during the ter when it was a territory, they did have a tremendous amount of businesses that they owned or the buildings. And, uh, you know, they achieved a lot of wealth and a lot of power. That they did. And on that note, we have to say that's all for today. Wealth and power. That's Wealth us. and power. That's us. <laughs> Todd, thanks much for all joining right, us. Thank you, bud. All right. Good. All right. We will talk at everybody next time here on Amo Franzi's Voices of the West. Thanks for joining us. We'll Adios. So long. Thanks for listening to Emil Franzi's Voices of the West.